0: My name is David Swenson. I'm a ceramist and sound artist, I suppose, from Clearwater, Minnesota. Welcome to Cut the Craft.
1: This is the part where we, uh, we chit-chat for a couple of minutes so that we can gather about 25 seconds of witty banter to put at the very beginning of the episode
2: oh okay cool
0: <laughs> yeah i mean uh it's weather's weather's a common topic in minnesota you know because it's like there's either a lot going on or there's nothing going on so people yeah. will be like all right well it might rain today i don't know
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, like, either way it's noteworthy yeah <laughs> uh, i've noticed that as we've as we've been. Editing the last several episodes since I moved here, all of the intros are like me complaining or talking about the weather in some <laughs> form, fashion or another. <laughs> and I feel so bad for all the listeners.
3: <laughs> Where the Minnesotans are like tuning in like, oh yeah.
1: <laughs> like, you know, I noticed that. Well, welcome to Cut the Craft, everybody. I'm Brian. And I'm Amy. And we are here with David Swenson, aka Swen. A uh, ceramic artist and sound artist working out of Clearwater, Minnesota. Swen, welcome to the show. Hey,
0: thanks for having me. You know, there were four, like, there were a bunch of Davids in my life when I was, like, in second grade. And there were a couple of us who were David S. And uh, <laughs> it's very, like, funny because it was just kind of out of necessity I started being Swen. You're right. Yeah. It turns out there's actually two ceramists who are David Swenson also, oh my gosh. and we were in a show one time. And so on the show card, it was, it looked like a typo uh, <laughs> because it said the same name twice. So I was like, well, you know, I really more identify with Swen because I've been Swen since second grade. And it's uh-huh. funny, you know, you move out to Minnesota and everybody um, not really kind of corrects you, but just says it the more accurate. Scandinavian way you know Sven you know it's almost like an F sound
2: <laughs> yeah um, in the B.
0: and oh Sven oh yeah uh nice to meet you wait Sven you're right Sven Sven and they go back and forth a little bit because you know I grew up with Italians and all my friends were uh you know Portuguese or Italian in Rhode Island and you know we we just say Sven you know because <laughs> this is the way it goes
1: so not anymore. Yeah.
0: I'm like, all of it, all of it works. I respond to everything. I'll respond to, hey, you guy, you know, like what's going on? Like,
2: <laughs> not not,
0: hey, not, worried about it. So,
3: Oh, man, that's funny. Okay, so for someone who's unfamiliar with your work, can you describe what you make and then how you fit within your own field?
0: Uh, I will do my best. Um, I <laughs> think it's good to kind of, well, first of all, I studied ceramics in school. I went to the community college of Rhode Island after I dropped out of high school and I needed to relax. So I took a clay class, you know,
2: Hmm.
0: and it was, I think a lot of people start doing clay stuff because they need to just like, no pun intended, find a way to get centered, you know, (laughs) and it's a good craft media for that. So I'm a ceramist and I also do some sound stuff on the side. I kind of grew up maybe 10 or 15 minutes outside of Providence and there's a lot of noise going on in Providence, noise, music, harsh noise, uh, kind of stuff. So I got into some of that. I'm not doing like quite as much of that as I used to, but it's kind of like people always ask, is that like music? And it's like, it can be, it's more like painting with sound, (laughs)
2: like
0: Mm. thinking of how a, the impressions that you get from the overall composition of like an abstract, like color field painting, like what sound does red make (laughs) and just kind of thinking of it that way. And what I, you know, so sometimes when we go into that, that's sort of how I think about it, but I don't, I wouldn't say that that's what I'm known for. I'm known for like ceramic stuff, if anything. (laughs) and mostly functional stuff right now i do make a lot of sculpture i'm planning on getting back into sculpture and kind of like balancing the two just because i miss it and i feel like when you bounce around a little bit it really everything informs other things that are going on Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and so being kind of diverse with music and sound and Uh, ceramics. I don't feel like the ceramic stuff that I've been making would be where it is without all the other stuff going on too. Hmm. You know, it's kind of this weird cacophony and that's kind of how I explain my process too, is it's like comforting chaos. You know, everything has to be going and I have to bounce around and I have trouble focusing, but that's how it works best. That's kind of like, it's a hard thing if people are used to like structure for, those things but you know in terms of just feeding back into the machine to get new things to happen i think it's great but yeah sorry that was probably like the we just wanted the back of the novel and we just got like maybe the first chapter so
1: (laughs) 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 i think it's really helpful to know though because a lot of times when we're talking to people about their craft it tends to be a pretty maybe a more isolated, focused conversation about just that side of their life. Hmm. But I think, you know, hearing a little bit more about your broader context and that everything is sort of all informing each other thing at the same time is, you know, just kind of paints a more complete picture maybe of who is Swin?
0: <laughs> like, why is this a mess? Yeah, like,
2: <laughs>
0: this, is, this is totally disorganized. It's sort of like one of those salads you see on a menu, and it sounds like the ingredients are, you know, whatever came in the, you know, CSA box or something like that. And then it's like, <laughs> yes. let's cut all these up and put them in and then, like, do a thing. But then it, it kind of works, you know, and it's like, all right, this is, this is actually curated. Maybe
2: mm-hmm.
0: I'm not sure if, you know, it's the most professional way to present it, but like I said, I'm going to be real honest cause it's the morning anyway. And I'm real <laughs> honest anyway, just cause that's the way I'm programmed. So yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so right now, are you making more utilitarian ceramics?
0: Yeah. So utility is a, a word that gets thrown around. Um, and, A lot of times people use it interchangeably with the word functional. Mm -hmm. And I prefer to use, I prefer to throw on the word utilitarian, not to be like aloof or anything, but to, because it's a little, it provides a little bit more clarity that Mm -hmm. the objects are for use. Hmm. Cause like,
1: like not just that they can be used, like it tells you a little bit more of intent, I guess.
0: Like you can drink out of anything that holds water you can drink out of something that doesn't hold water you know if you stick your (laughs) finger in the hole in the bottom you know you can drink out of a planter (laughs) right And, and it'll work but I mean like the degree to which it works is supposed to be easy and enjoyable for like a utilitarian object you know it's performing a service and that is just supposed to be a little bit closer to effortless, you know, in terms of, in my opinion of how I would maybe gently define the word, uh, utilitarian, (laughs) you know, something that you can just go to every day, you know, Mm -hmm. like a good example is just like the coffee cup I'm drinking out of. I'm drinking out of a Matt Krause cup right now. And I've been doing that for the past like two weeks. I normally like rotate a little bit more, but he's a good buddy of mine. And, um, it's been just like a really nice daily burner. You know, it's like, I don't really think about it. I just go for this cup now and it does exactly what I need. It's been holding the right amount of coffee. And,
2: mm.
0: You know, I don't, That that's the goal. You know, uh, I tell my students when I'm going to make a coffee cup, you know, I want to, the highest honor that I could have is to be the, cup that someone goes for when they're not aware and they're just waking up and they just need to get a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or whatever we drink in the morning to wake up Mm -hmm. is to just be like that one that you know you instinctually go for that's Mm -hmm. probably the highest compliment that i could ever hope for and it's a good goal to shoot for if you kind of think about those parameters like comfort ergonomics ease of use and durability, you know, a combination of those things, it's probably the closest definition to that utilitarian piece.
1: Hmm, I really like that.
3: North House Folk School in Grand Marais, Minnesota teaches traditional craft on the north shore of Lake Superior. Classes through the first half of 2023 are now open for registration. Learn everything from woodworking to weaving, sausage making to sailing, and blacksmithing to basket making. Learn more at northhouse.org. Making and living with craft deepens our lives. Unfortunately, many of the tools we use to share our work do the opposite. We Make is a small collection of makers, designers, and business thinkers, and they're asking, What could a craft-focused, maker-managed social platform look like? They'd like your input. To see what's planned and to share your thoughts, visit makermap.com. Celebrate 50 years of pioneering craft education with Touchstone Center for Crafts in southwestern Pennsylvania. Immerse yourself in a hands-on learning experience, including blacksmithing, ceramics, glass, drawing, painting, fine metals and more. Special programming is offered for educators, nature enthusiasts, teens and veterans with scholarships, internships and residency opportunities available. Explore the galleries, enjoy a date night mini workshop or find your next group retreat location at their beautiful wooded 150 acre campus. Visit touchstonecrafts.org to find your craft community.
1: Well, I was just going to ask kind of too. I mean, one advantage that your ceramics might have over another in terms of, um, in terms of that, like someone just instinctually going for that is, uh, is kind of like your surface patterning uh, that you, you know, the decorations that you put on the surfaces of the clay. And that's not to discount the function and the feel of your mugs or anything. But I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about the you know kind of the surfaces that you're doing and the patterns and stuff sure absolutely
0: you know I started doing that probably seven years ago now seven or eight because in my pottery classes people were asking me about how to do surface design and I had not delved yet into any of that I had painting classes and drawing classes you know so some degree of like you know Stuff that could be s- considered surface research, but not really doing that on a three dimensional, you know, round surface. But yeah, uh, my mom had a bunch of Ross Malling uh, Norwegian art, which is a flower painting style that's uh, out of Norway and, you know, Scandinavia. And I remember seeing that stuff when I was little and just being kind of captivated by it. And I, I was trying to think of like pieces that. I felt connected to, but also were beautiful in terms of their surface design. But yeah, so I got into that. And then, you know, my mom also had some, I think, uh, lace stuff that uh, either my grandmother or like friends of ours had made. And just the patterns in that and, and noticing it on ceramics too. And just like starting to make connections between those. Thinking back, like this is all the thought process when I was getting into like thinking about surface and like what kind of thing do I want to learn about because I need to be able to teach something (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) so I got into that and then started researching the history of how that came into development and that kind of led me to some filigree and rococo kind of style floral designs and things and like you know out of southwestern Europe that were you know inspired by other ceramics and textiles that were coming across on like the silk road trade routes. Hmm. And so there was this game of telephone sort of going on where like people were being inspired by the things that they saw or like, you know, Italian maiolica's, you know, the the high tin glaze to make the sandy clay that they were using white was to imitate like a lot of the porcelains that were coming over from Asia. And so it's just interesting to like kind of go back through all the history and see the brushstrokes and see the consistencies, but then also they're changing as they go along and learning about all those histories and try to figure out how did, how did this happen? You know, (laughs) how did they get to this point? And so my work is sort of a discussion of some of that history and being inspired by it, but then also, you know, things that are from my life, like I missed the ocean And so I started putting some ocean creatures on my pots. Mm -hmm. You know, the crabs and the shrimp and fish and the squids and pelicans, you know, Mm -hmm. pelicans are funny birds, Mm
4: -hmm. (laughs) you know, just (laughs) in general.
0: And I I think it's a funny one to latch on to. That one's been real popular in the last couple of firings. And then, you know, I used to draw a lot in my notebook, these weird faces and stuff. And I have dental anxiety Sometimes, you know, so um, thinking about, like, going to the dentist and, like, worrying about teeth and then, like, thinking about what a face would look like if it was wearing about its teeth and then putting it on a pot, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And I, I was talking about this bouncing around thing, you know, in general, and that's literally, like, you know, part of the process is I, I think, like, oh, you know, I used to draw this face. Oh, I'm worried about my teeth. Oh, I'm going to put them together and I'm just going to, like, put it on this pot. You know, it can literally be like that sort of deep or shallow, however you want to think about it. But it's maybe more about the immediacy, I think, and not having time to think (laughs) or overthink Mm -hmm. and responding to the moment that you find your thought process in and trying not to overcalculate that.
1: Do you feel like part of that is kind of necessary especially given the fact that you're executing these designs with brushworks where like that brush stroke is the final stroke so it's kind of like you can't even do to like you have to be you have to engage in that like immediacy
0: absolutely i mean first of all uh, you know to be fair it doesn't look right if i don't do that you know you just gotta jump in the pool with mm. this stuff and that's one of the things i noticed about like videos i was watching when i was learning about brush strokes you know youtube is great it is though you know in terms of like a tremendous resource a lot of the technique that i use is self-taught i have some friends who i've worked with who do surface design and i've learned a lot from them too but you know in terms of the overall like just kind of learning about how a brush works and when to apply pressure and what kind of fibers i like in a brush and you know those things all were just kind of personal research and i I think they always kind of have to be because it's such a personal thing
2: Hmm.
0: you know i know a lot of decorators who like for instance like goat hair brushes and Hmm. they're wonderful and they make some excellent excellent brush strokes but for me because i'm so picky about some of the articulation in the expression I need to have a little bit more body in there and some spring. So it's been interesting to like learn about that stuff too. And I probably got off on a tangent, but you were asking me about like the immediacy and responding and just kind of having to jump in the pool when you commit to like putting a brush down on anything that you're painting. Right. Cause it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to wipe it off. I mean, I guess you could paint back over it with, you know, some, Primer or gesso or something, and then have another go. But um, specifically with the ceramic painting media, media, I've only got one shot really per pot. <laughs> you know, you, could, you just got to do it. Um, and having that risk of messing up is integral to the process. So you have to, and you can kind of feel some of that tension, I think, when you look at things you know, it's underlined most of the time, but because typically when I'm doing that, each design ends up being, well, they do, they end up being different and I'm trying to make them different. You know, I could probably, if I was really concentrating, try and reproduce the same thing, but that's not the goal for these, but the consistency is still there in the techniques and the dynamic lines and, the organization of the patterns and motifs on the surface and the response to the shape that I'm doing.
2: Mm-hmm. I
0: have kind of a trouble repeating the same shape for my attention. Like technically it's something I could do,
2: mm-hmm. you
0: know, I could make the same shape cut each time, but I don't want to. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'm just being a brat, you know, uh, <laughs> but it's it's like, I want, because each one needs to be an individual in my mind, I want to make a different shape, even if they have commonalities in the discussion of that form, maybe the neck versus the body versus the foot kind of thing. And there are goals for like those proportions and different pieces. But I think it's important that they're all different. And that process of, you know, laying a brush down as is, is something that has also added to that, I think, because I, I'm not planning anything, I just have to go in and jump in the pool, you know, get cold.
1: Uh. <laughs> it kind of reminds me for some reason, I'm getting this image in my head of when you have a uh in a movie when someone's like crossing a bridge and the bridge is snapping and they run really fast in order to like <laughs> make it across the rope bridge. it's kind of like how the brush strokes are as you're going around, but it's just like the chance of like a a misstroke is following you, so you have to stay just ahead of it, you know
0: <laughs> totally, and for you know patterns like banding that ideally are gonna match up, and if you don't really hit the proportion that fits the diameter of whatever you're working on. If it's like going around the rim of a cup or a bowl and you want this alternating flower pattern to work out, you know, you've got an A section and a B section and inevitably there ends up being a little section that maybe doesn't fit. Sometimes you hit it and it feels like really good. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. all right, I, uh, I, I shot that arrow you know right at the target and that one that one landed but the reality is most of the time you know i'm just happy to be in the hay you know and not have to like run across the field to go get my arrow kind of deal and there's ways of like salvaging that it's not really salvaging it's just sort of like landing in a different way Mm -hmm. and still acknowledging that it didn't happen exactly the way that i planned it but I'm going to finish this out, and it's going to look intentional. There's a finesse, I think, to doing that, which is tough. But uh, you know, practice makes cactus. So either way, it's all good. Yeah. Is it okay if I ask questions? Um, oh
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> when y'all are thinking about what to make, or how to make it, or how to explain that, you know. Not necessarily in a teaching scenario, but in terms of just conveying a thought process, I don't know. I'm always curious to hear what people or how how like I I suppose I try to think like I've worked with a couple of visually impaired students, you know, and and breaking down process in terms of is that the correct term? I apologize if I'm not up on Terminology.
3: You mean process in terms of like how to do a technique or process in terms of like inspiration?
0: Uh, techniques, or, but also uh, inspiration. Uh, I suppose both all the above, just thinking about like how to explain something in a way that builds the best bridge to the goal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
3: I, I mean, I personally think as far as technique I need to know a little bit about the person. Sure. So I've explained like taking wood off of a, you know, a blank basically in terms of like watersheds before, because I knew the person was like really interested in things like that. You know, it's like, well, okay. So if rain were falling on this part, we want it to go this way and like things like that. So for me, it's very hinged on the person that I'm teaching, which is probably part of the reason why I don't really like teaching big groups, I've learned, because everyone is so different. Absolutely. So for me, it's it that's been kind of a challenge. I don't know, Brian, if you have any thoughts around that.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, I try to explain things in as many different ways as possible. Yeah. So that people have a bunch of different avenues to get to the goal. Mm-hmm. Dang, this would have been a great time to have uh, Caitlin Morris, who we had on a couple mm. episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a, a blacksmithing instructor in Maryland, and she had so many great teaching insights. So mm-hmm. um, that's definitely one I might take a re-listen to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> For sure, I know it's a it's a, it's a very interesting question, right? Because it's I, I mean I'm not just it's something that I think about regularly and I revisit often you know, in terms of like, how to, how do I build as best a scenario as I can for each person who's trying to articulate their idea in this media that we're working with, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, mm-hmm. With and meeting them wherever their skills are at to have, you know, the best possible scenario for our situation.
2: Yeah.
0: And while we're doing this, this conversation, I'm kind of thinking about that stuff because it is all audio. You know, So it's hard yeah. to think about f- for me right now. And I think it's really, really good to think about this stuff. How do you verbalize your process and what you think about and how you make what you make? Mm-hmm. And just in terms of the, I, I don't know, I, I feel like any time that I do an exercise like this where I'm either in a teaching scenario or I'm just explaining it to someone, you know, when, when something that I I'm doing is not like in front of them and they can't experience it in any way. um, How's the best possible way or how many different ways exactly kind of like what Brian just said, can I say the process or explain the technique to make it because like I have, I have some, I have some trouble with some of the, cognizant, whatever kind of stuff going on in in my head. And I I had trouble connecting with some of the teachers that I had growing up because I just have at the time, you know, I'm, I'm 39 or so. And I think at the time it wasn't as widely known or people weren't as aware of different learning styles, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think it's really important to explain And I I do this in class, you know, I'll show five or six different ways to make a lid because one of those techniques is probably going to resonate better with one individual and then another technique is going to resonate more. So I kind of think of it as like, how many, you know, different targets can I hit and I want to like try and light up all the lights that I can Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of pepper the Pepper the targets, you know, and if I can, <laughs> if I can at least hit a little bit, I like, I don't want to nail each one of them, but I want to get something on every target that's in there so that each person can can kind of walk away with it. Sorry. I was just like noticing parallels in between um, that experience and this one right now
2: mm. Mm.
0: while I was thinking about like, how do you say what you do? You know, right. Um, <laughs> is the question like, cause it's like, to be honest, I don't completely understand what I'm doing. That's a goal, <laughs> though. Also, is to have that risk be present, and and it's really important for everything. But at the same time, when it comes down to it, if you do have to explain it, like how would you do that? I don't know. I'm I'm really enjoying this. I suppose is the short way of. Does that make sense? I don't know if. That yeah. Makes sense. No,
1: it's <laughs> super
3: sweet. Yeah. I, I mean, it still sounds like you give yourself parameters, though, within the, the what you're making. Like there's when you when I look at your work, there's there's a lot of freedom and just sort of openness with the design, which I guess it sounds like you is very intentional, but it's still you are still making, you know, utilitarian objects or you're working within a certain color palette and stuff like that. So you give yourself parameters but then after that it's like you have comic book characters in there with like shrimps and stuff like that and i just i love that i love it so much it's so refreshing to see the freedom that you give yourself in the design work of your pieces like the surface design mm-hmm. so i really like that maybe uh, that's not related to what you're talking about but <laughs>
0: it, um everything's related right yeah i i, I think so um, and i'm i don't know how to take a compliment i thank you so much i I just anytime you know what i mean it's it's like you kind of feel like mad scientists sometimes in the studio like messing around and experimenting with things and then um Mm -hmm. i i really appreciate that you dig it you know um Mm -hmm. i don't know what to say sorry i'm stumbling We can edit this later um
5: When I think about illumination, I think about the light bulb going on. I think about something dawning on someone. I think about dawn, not the soap. Halos, not the game. And old manuscripts. In sound, I feel the word is close to what it means an onomatopoeia. And it means enlightenment, a lighting up. That's Merriam-Webster for you. Our next guest focuses on Islamic illumination as an art and craft, noting that they're bound together. It's a style that is very hard to pin down since it isn't exclusive to a medium. Dr. Ezra Al Hamal focuses on biomorphic patterns. When I think of patterns, I think of seasons. I think of checkerboards and underlying reasons. I also think of kaleidoscopic images, which have always entranced me with their flourishing details. The word biomorphic, she'll get into it for you. But break down the word and you can see it move the way the thing does itself. Come and reflect with us.
0: Art that resonated the most with me, I think, when I started studying like art history because I had to in school, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's part of the reason that I arrived where this, you know, work is right now. Which is funny because it felt like you had to take art history, you had to take art history in art school, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you end up finding most of the inspiration for that work because of that kind of research that you had to start doing kind of deal. And I think that Mm -hmm. that's very interesting to kind of turn around and see because it's like, I just want to get back in the studio and I want to do all these things. But then like um, realizing like pretty much everything's already been done Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: (laughs) there's so much that we can learn from and be inspired by just going to a museum. Mm. that's basically what a lot of this is, is it's kind of nostalgia. It's kind of being fascinated by the objects in the bubble at the museum
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and wanting to experience them, but not being able to because there's a bubble around them made of glass, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) and um, the hands off kind of, I don't, that's one thing I don't like about museums. I totally understand it, but like, because of the tactility that is an inherent kind of uh, integral piece of any ceramic object, uh, that's always kind of bugged me. So, you know, I was like, I want to make something that looks old and I want somebody to be able to pick it up. And
1: mm-hmm. so, so it's like almost as a summary, you're saying like, you're seeing these little imprisoned objects in the museum's and you're like, gosh, you're so beautiful. If only like you could let this canary out of its cage to fly. Yeah, totally. Like but, I want to open and the love- chicken coop, and everybody wants <laughs> <run>, like. <laughs> but I love that your response is like, well, I guess I'm gonna have to make those things for myself, in a sense, yeah. like something that captures that spirit of what mm-hmm. you're looking at. Because I mean, when you def, one of the things that I mean, Amy and I, when we first found your work it was well poor amy had to listen to me like go on about it for like hours but uh, (laughs) i
3: like it i liked it but
1: but like in the sense that when when you look at your pieces it speaks undoubtedly to your experience and what i love is that it it's this perfect reference to historic ceramics and acknowledgement of of the fact that we can't do anything new But at the same time, you're also adding your own unique experiences to it, thus making something new. (laughs) (laughs) It's sort of this like cool paradox I've never seen on any other ceramics. So I just I don't I get so excited about it, as you can tell. But yeah, I mean, just like the little crab reaching for a light bulb. (laughs) <laughs> Some shrimps and then you got wolverine and once again like i like you i grew up on the coast so seeing like those shrimp and crabs and sharks and stuff like that is just totally reminds me of my own childhood and maybe that's why i'm connecting to it so much but wow it's just like <laughs> and it's not too busy like even though every every surface is so covered with you know pattern and design they're still your eyes are able to focus on different pieces of it. It's not just a pattern to fill the space. Like it's also telling a story and you can look at that and see the story. Even if you don't know exactly what it is, it's like when you see those old scruffido like vases of ancient Greece and you see Mm -hmm. like the muses and stuff whispering to each other and you don't know what they're talking about, (laughs) but like, you know, they're saying something.
0: (laughs) There's a story, right? But it's ambiguous what that story is. I think that's Mm -hmm. exactly, uh, it's a, I'm beyond flattered. It's, it's, (laughs) it's a goal, you know, to try and build. It's strange to have a goal that is, how do you tell a story that you don't know what the story is? (laughs) You know, (laughs) like it's kind of a strange behavior, but like at the same time, because of that ambiguity, it, it allows entry into that narrative whatever it is because you can kind of like plug in whatever pieces feel like they're missing mm-hmm. um either consciously or unconsciously maybe i am super duper flattered because yeah
1: it's, look at you having to accept compliments <laughs> I'm, well,
0: yeah i'm sorry I, I i don't know how to deal with you know i'm I, we're all our own worst critics, right? So, like, when you go into the studio, it's it's hard because it's like, all right, like, how do we do this better? You know, and and stepping back and and I don't know, I, I don't know how to deal with it. I'm, I'm getting better, you know. I'm trying, <laughs> but I am super duper flattered.
1: Well, I mean, I do take it as a good sign that you're not just like, "Yeah, I know, I nailed it." <laughs>
0: I mean, all I see is like this. This is a strange proportion for like this chicken on this one. I wish it was like a little bit small. You know what I mean, or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> but um,
1: totally. Yeah, it,
0: it's. I am pretty pumped about the new the new pelicans. Uh, I just started putting fish in the little beak thing, and it's actually kind of hard because the beak sac is so big on them because i had to be able to put a fish in there so i just made it bigger you know what i mean taking the (laughs) artistic license or whatever to i'm gonna totally like make the proportions of what i think this probably should be whatever fits on the thing i think that's that's a new thing from like the last firing or two where having more freedom with stuff like that has been really exciting Because, you know, the reality is, like, it's going to still feel like a bird because of the bird attributes are there enough that it's going to do its thing. But how far can I depart from that, that it'll still feel like the bird that it is? But Mm -hmm. and this is probably like weird um, inside, inside Swen's brain, like stuff that doesn't really (laughs) matter right now. But like, I'm looking over at my shelf and kind of thinking about some of the stuff were talking about and yeah it's interesting because like i i don't get a uh i probably should spend more time looking at them and trying to build on some of those ideas maybe abstract narrative and and or like how do you put all these things together in a a weird way but you know it's interesting it's like a lot of the time is spent on just what shape is that area and what do i put in there which Mm. is kind of adding to the randomness i suppose but it's i think of it as sort of like tailoring clothes Mm. you know you want the shirt or the jacket or the pants or whatever that you're putting on the model not to like fall apart (laughs) you know and maybe have some semblance of clothes (laughs) but don't worry like while you were in the process of making all these different shaped clothes you have all these different shaped models that you have to tailor clothes for and so none of the solutions that previously worked on other ones are going to work on these <laughs> so <laughs> you kind of paint yourself in this weird corner i don't know this is probably too much of a tangent but you know that's uh
1: that's a really great metaphor though
3: yeah it's, well, you're responding to the space that you've created too
0: yeah Absolutely. Yeah. All this stuff is really, I'm dyslexic, you know, uh, I've got trouble with words and, and and putting them together. When I had uh, reading stuff in school, I had to, you know, take notes on every single thing that I read in order to use another sense to kind of get it in my head.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I kind of ended up focusing more on like spatial development. hmm playing chess and art stuff and trying to figure out like you start to see shapes on three-dimensional objects and then figure out like that's a triangle, this is a trapezoid, what fits in a triangle, what fits in a trapezoid, Mm -hmm. what fits in a long rectangle kind of thing. And they end up being quilts almost of all those ideas. It's kind of how I think of them, especially because like, you know, uh, going back to, you know, Norwegian quilts and, textiles and things like that it's like okay this these shapes go here and these (laughs) you know just like loose rules yeah i think so Mm
3: -hmm. yeah i have a question when you're doing anything math related do you have shapes associated with math problems i'm asking this because that's what i do because i've had so many problems with math growing up that i had to like make it spatial that makes sense
0: absolutely
3: so nice to hear somebody I, else.
0: <laughs> I think um, I think geometry was one of the first classes I remember feeling like a lot of the math made sense. Yeah, because yeah. of all the connections, there was all of a sudden a practical application for all of those you know ideas that had been sort of floating out there in the ether before mm-hmm. they were given something concrete to ground them. Mm -hmm. And I, I, that resonates with me a whole lot uh, because it's, it's the way I'm wired Mm to it's sort of like when I was taking chemistry in, in high school, before I dropped out, you know, they show you the periodic table and you, you know, it's literally an abstract thing until you have a practical application for it. And then it was funny getting into glaze calculation and, clay body formulation and, and figuring mm. out that it's basically a map to the universe. Um, <laughs> and it tells you everything that everything else does. And sometimes you can figure out substitutions from it and things like that. But it's funny. Cause it's like, I remember hating this thing in high school and now it's, a, and thinking like, I'm never going to need this and I'm never going <laughs> to use it. And why are all these like pink and yellow and blue blocks yelling at me, you know, to do my homework. (laughs) And like, now it's something that I use basically anytime I need to like, try and fix my glaze or, you know, Mm -hmm. work on something. It's very interesting to Mm -hmm. think about those things, right? Like shapes totally make all the sense of the, of the math, I think. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely. Sorry, that was another tangent. No, it's good. We can call Maybe this the tangent episode. We can leave it in.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, have you had like what sort of personal transformations have happened with you throughout through your work and like your practice?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm still kind of understanding some of that, or learning to understand
2: mm-hmm.
0: how that thing is, and I think that's good, you know, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because identity is fluid, and we're always changing. And I think it's important to like acknowledge that you know we're uh, product of our environments, and because the environment that I'm in in the studio is always kind of changing, because all the things are constantly changing. I try to like have new themes and new patterns that come into every kiln, also. So I'm not so every decorating cycle is consciously like. I've done this before. How do I change it? What? How does that fit in with this now? Or like, for instance, the last kiln I was painting goats because I had to do a goat project and figuring out what shapes fit around a goat and how do I explain where this goat fits into the sort of graphic theme that I've tried to create for my pots. And I don't think you can help, but change in that in in the same way though because everything's always changing the sense of identity is hard to think about because maybe it's all changing too Mm -hmm. i'm not sure uh but i think the underlying themes of i want everything to be different you know i want each piece to be an individual if i can Mm
2: -hmm.
0: i like the place setting on the tables where like all the plates are different and all the Mm -hmm. pots are different and my goal a lot of the time is to because each piece is an individual to not have them feel like things that have necessarily like happened before Mm -hmm. it just makes the it makes the situation feel more dynamic to me Mm -hmm. so I think what I identify with are the loose themes like that like I want dynamics I want aesthetics I want texture I want you know, new topics to come in. I want these to feel old. I want them to be useful if, you know, I'm working on the utilitarian kind of body of work. And I think I want them to feel playful. Mm -hmm. That one is particularly difficult, I think, because anytime you introduce a lot of play into your work, it's a risk of not being taken seriously. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I'm a goofball, you know, I'm a, I'm a total cut up. I'm going to, you know, run around doing as many different crazy things as I can to try and get new stuff to happen. But underneath all the jokes and stuff, I'm trying to maintain a degree of integrity and seriousness in, The making of those objects and it's an interesting goal to have i think because it is it is kind of dangerous uh (laughs) in terms of being taken seriously if you want that to be a goal which also you probably shouldn't worry about that either you should just make what you want to make and Mm -hmm. uh, feel what you want to feel and do what you do but you know in in terms of trying to build an audience and like those other things, it's hard not to think about, you know, whether or not you're being taken, you know, whether whether or not this is a serious joke or a good articulation of that piece yeah. that is, you know, has those degrees of, oh, this is playful, but also like, this is also serious. It's a very strange um, balanced piece. But I think that my identity lies in those kind of weird abstract goals that try to stay open enough that i have the room to play and to take Mm -hmm. the risks but also feel like they're in line enough with those abstract goals to feel in rhythm with what has happened before them so i've always kind of hated the way I feel like in art school, they push, like, what is your voice? What is your goal? What do you do? What is your sense of, like, identity in this thing? And I think it's good to think about those. But I think also, like, you kind of arrive at those when and if you need to. Mm -hmm. I think it's more important to make and try to make the best iteration of whatever that idea that you're having is at the time with the skills that you have you know we do the best that we can and that's more important that you're honest to who you are and what you're feeling at that time than whether or not it is your voice or your you know person because it's going to be that if you're just honestly making the best mm-hmm. thing that you can like i just try to make the most technically I, I'm fascinated with technical problems, and that's one of the reasons why I work with clays because I want the technical, I want the I want the failure to be there and to be present, <laughs> which is like totally like you know I'm going to take an auger to the bottom of my ship and I'm just going to let all the water in and I'm going to like try and <laughs> bail this out and I'm going to do these things. But to me, it's fascinating to try and tame material that wants to misbehave. Hmm. And that's maybe somewhat masochistic. You know, but also it's captivating because everything no matter how well you feel like you did it can always go wrong. Cuz hmm. you're going to make this thing into a rock in the kiln and the rocks either going to behave or it's not. <laughs> and I like that it misbehaves. You know, I think there's a degree of gambler in maybe every ceramist. (laughs) Nobody makes a painting and then puts it in a kiln. You know, you don't do that. We're going to fire this thing to 300 degrees below what the temperature is in a volcano. You know, it's like this is just absolutely kind of ludicrous behavior if you think about it. It's just sort (laughs) of like this is definitely rolling dice but that is another underlying layer of depth to all the things that are happening. And I think that has a lot to do with, feels like, I don't know, maybe I'm just paying attention better now or whatever, but I feel like, um, especially over the pandemic, it feels like a lot of ceramic stuff has caught the eye of a lot of the public. Again, Mm -hmm. I feel like it's, it's, um, it's always maybe been around kind of thing, but, um, seems like people are into it and don't always know why. And I feel like that might be one of the reasons why is because it's just a risk material. <laughs> yeah. Does that did like, I answer like the question? Out. I'm like going back and thinking about like we were talking about identity. I was talking about risk. I was talking about like I don't like art school and <laughs> being told that I need to have a voice that I don't know what it sounds like, you know. Yeah.
3: Um, well, I think yeah. it's one of, i I I have the same reservations. I think where that is the product that is something that comes after you kind of know a little bit more about yourself and you just make a bunch of work and then you see common themes. Yeah, and you're like, oh, that's who I you know, like this is what's important to me. And I think it's like getting the cart before the horse, and you I think it can be problematic because then you're trying to adhere to some sort of ideal that you've decided is who you are instead of just like being okay with what's coming out, uh, creative like creatively. Yeah. I think that's maybe what you were trying to say or.
0: Yeah, that was. Yeah. Much more articulate. Um, <laughs>
3: uh, I, oh,
1: you just got amed.
3: No, oh, sorry, no, it happens to me all my, the time. Keep my mouth shut. No, no
0: I, no, I love it because I do. Like I said, my wiring's all like over the place, and I have. I'm, I'm glad that my um, perspective is is coming across in any way most of the time. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? I just like listen to myself in class when I'm demonstrating or something like that. like That I just stop and i'm like that was a really strange way of saying this let me try that again (laughs) you know kind of but totally yeah i i think it it just figures itself out right i i don't like Mm -hmm. pigeonholing Mm -hmm. or the pigeonholing that happens when it's like what is your because what ends up happening is it it stifles the creativity right Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: that's so dangerous because well it's not that's a bad word that that puts a negative connotation if that's your goal you know then it ends up being more qu- towards a design goal to me and mm-hmm. if you want the if you want the elements of art to be present that you know it ends up feeling honest and fresh and like an interesting idea and whatever kind of thing when you Step back after you've made each piece, and you say, like, did I use my voice?
2: Mm
0: -hmm. It's like, well, if you made it, you used your voice, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's the way that I think, anyway. And I don't ever want to limit that piece. Like I used to say, I try to walk in the studio with no agenda, other than I'm going to make a thing Mm. and allow the sort of whatever I'm feeling to be articulated in, in the material that I'm using. Um, so it's like, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was making some chairs out of clay cause I used to work for a theater and I missed building furniture and like doing all of these sort of random seeming tasks for making whatever set happen that we were working on. And I was like, you know, I really like chairs. I'm going to make some chairs and I don't know what they're going to be for yet, but I'll figure that out later that should be okay.
2: Hmm.
0: You know, that you you need to give yourself that kind of freedom to be who you want to be that day, because when you're going to hold that back, I feel like it's going to lead to a lot of frustration. First of all, like, Oh, I got to go to the studio and i got to make the same cup again that I made yesterday. Mm -hmm. And if that's not the way that you actually want to be, that's going to be stifling. Um, Yeah. And so I don't know. I always try to keep an open mind, you know, uh, what, what, what can this do? Okay. This can do anything. Great. Let's do anything. Like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) so that's the, that's the goal. Let's do anything.
1: Take a week long or weekend class at the John C. Campbell folk school and explore their scenic 270 acre campus, attracting students from all over the world. Browse over 800 class offerings and subjects including weaving, clay, blacksmithing, woodworking, nature studies, and more in their new July 2022 through June 2023 catalog. Available online now at folkschool.org. Whether you're picking up a hammer for the first time or you're an experienced blacksmith who's looking to hone your skills, Miss Caitlin's School in Frederick, Maryland can help. They offer individualized instruction aimed at getting you smithing as quickly and effortlessly as possible. Register online at School.com. That's M-S-C-A-I-T-L-I-N-S-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com.
3: So would you say that that's one of the challenges of like, is that a challenge for you? Or like maintaining that. Lack of that focus. Sense? <laughs> yeah, it's just sort of a, <laughs> like a sense of freedom or is that, is it kind of the opposite of that? Is that, or maybe it's like two sides of the same coin. It's like a balancing act.
0: For sure. I mean, like, especially like now with um, trying to keep up with some deadlines that, you know, are looming on the horizon trying to figure out like okay what's the schedule for when this mm-hmm. stuff has to arrive where it's going things like that you know there's a little bit more rigidness mm. maybe in the scheduling and what's happening but I, I try to maintain a comfortable degree of chaos <laughs> and so that I can still do some of that stuff and you know promoting the uh, pottery stuff that I've been doing the last bunch of years has, um, you know, been good for building uh, somewhat of the early part of a career. You know, in in trying to do some of this stuff. But at the same time, like the things that I'm finding now is that it, you know, the sculpture pieces, the weirdo pieces, the sound stuff, and like other things, I haven't had as much time for, and. I think that that has been a little bit, that's been a little bit of a bummer. Um, But at the end of the day, it's like if you're going to pay the mortgage and like do all this stuff, it's like there's certain things that need to happen. Yeah. But that said, like, you know, I think there needs to be a healthy balance. So one of the goals I made for this year was to like try and make some more crazy stuff. So I've been working on some, some module ideas and things like that, but it's hard to, say and i probably danced too far from what the question was now to feel like this was actually an answer <laughs> but hopefully that sort of articulated some of that i'm not sure can you repeat the question
3: <laughs> <laughs> well i was sort of talking about the challenges and it sounds like yeah. the like the satisfaction kind of is the challenge or maybe the challenge is satisfying. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean,
0: all the, it's cyclical, right? Yeah. The challenge feeds to new challenges like you've got mm. over that hurdle. So we're just going to line up the next one and try to jump over it
2: mm-hmm. and
0: see if we can catch some kind of rhythm maybe. But yeah.
1: But not too much of a rhythm not too so much. that you can branch out. Yeah, we're <laughs> going to switch lanes
0: a couple of times. Yeah. We're not supposed to do that, <laughs> but it's okay. If I jump over the hurdle that's like one over or two over from me, that's probably okay too. Yeah. Uh, probably finish the race last, but that's okay. We're not on a schedule. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I think um, the challenges are like all the balance stuff, you know, especially as you get a little bit older. Like it's weird. I still feel like I'm early twenties. Like mm-hmm. in terms of my maturity level. You know, I like I I'm just not there. I'm a goofball. But, you know, I'm gonna be forty next year. And, you know, I wanna pay the bills. I wanna like do all this stuff. I wanna keep the machine rolling and like do those pieces. And so far so good, you know, kinda of deal. But <laughs> It's it's been interesting because when you're, especially the last couple of years, trying to figure out like, okay, I need to switch to an internet platform. I need to adapt. I think adapting in any kind of arts or crafts practice is like super important because especially like ceramics, we deal so much with chemistry when we're making the slips and the clays and the glasses and stuff. Mine's close. We're not a large enough you know, supporter of buying those materials to keep the mines for the materials open, mm-hmm. and so periodically things change, and you got to get out your periodic table again and like <laughs> do your math and figure out like okay, how do I make something that is probably pretty close to my glaze with this new material? And you know, it happens like uh, the first the, I remember. People talking to me when I was in community college about like how mines would close and stuff like that, and then I experienced it with like a major glaze that I used. I used a lot of Kona F4, and then that mine closed. And then when I ordered Kona from the, it's a sodium uh, feldspar. When I ordered that from the clay store, uh, I got minspar, and I was like, this is different. Huh. And it was, you know, close enough that I was able to do that. But it's interesting because larger, we've always depended on larger industries to keep the mines open that we have, uh-huh. you know, gotten used to using.
2: Huh.
0: And um, when they decide to switch materials, or if they find a way to cut costs by, like, using another material, then we have to adapt. That's interesting, and I think that's a huge challenge, just in terms of those pieces, but it's one of the things that I've tried to do from learning about that is to not be connected to all of the materials that I'm, I'm working with. Like, um, I've worked with, uh, earthenware, I've worked with porcelain, I've worked with stoneware and, you know, if you walk into my booth at a show, I'm going to have most of those out there, you know, cause it's just like, I just use whatever's around and whatever's available. And I didn't know if I would end up owning a gas kiln in school. So I you know, spent the last six months that I was studying, trying to develop an electric kiln scenario that would work for me because that really has been a good piece for uh, being adaptable is that you can kind of have an electric kiln anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, the glaze materials for that are a little bit more expensive because you have to use like frits and stuff, but it makes it so that you can have a kiln at home just about anywhere that you are. Mm-hmm. And um, you can adapt to whatever your studio situation is.
2: It's interesting.
0: Isn't that weird to like, think about yeah. like, you know, and it's not something that they really, maybe they should talk about more in schools in terms of like, Sustainability of the practice and trying not to feel so connected to a process that it inhibits you moving forward, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we need to figure out low fire temperatures, we need to figure out mid fire temperatures, we need to figure out high fire temperatures and find things that work with whatever we want to do in those things so that whatever the situation is, hopefully we can like continue on with something, you know. Mm -hmm. so it keeps going i think every person has a different um schedule that they're programmed for like i was talking before about how i'm a night owl Mm -hmm. i can think more clearly at night and like trying to figure out a situation for other work that's happening that you know you can just kind of work when it feels natural Mm -hmm. has been a challenge i was uh work in some overnight jobs. And then I also like to work in the studio at night and then, you know, figuring out the balance of like what works with the time that you have. Um, and, and all those pieces, but it's just a trial and error thing. I think mm-hmm. trying to figure out when, when those pockets of time are and then what can happen in those
5: periods and all those pieces,
0: mm-hmm. but you end up fine. Again, you find the whatever rhythm ends up feeling, natural and just kind of try to ride the wave.
3: Yeah. So do you have any mentors that you'd like to acknowledge who've made a difference in your practice?
0: I do. Yeah, Mark Zellers uh was the ceramics teacher at the community college of Rhode Island at Lincoln that I really kind of realized that I wanted to work a little bit longer with clay. And do art stuff, you know, I had started working with Clay, uh, with Nick 70, who is also a big person in my life at the community college of Rhode Island at Warwick, but, um, they didn't have a gas kiln up there. And he eventually told me like, after taking a bunch of hand building classes and doing some, uh, pottery, he's like, I'm more of a hand builder. So if you want to really like focus on learning the wheel, you should go work with Mark. He's from Minnesota. <laughs> You know, and I guess Mark uh, grew up outside of Duluth or north of Duluth. And he had all the Minnesota glazes in his studio and all the, you know, he was working with stoneware and doing a lot of Chino's and, and they had a gas kiln there. And he was great. He really challenged me. And I think the thing that you were talking about, Amy, earlier, where working with smaller classes really helps because you can kind of focus on the person and figure out Mark really figured out like what my learning style was and literally tailored our independent studies to kind of work as best as you know he and I could understand for the way that my weird brain wiring was <laughs> and so I am eternally grateful for that And also just like his willingness to kind of teach stuff that was kind of outside of the realm of most like community college stuff. Like he did glaze calc with us, which is a little bit more in depth than what most people who are working at a community college want to do and kind of started that. And it's funny, like I was able to answer some questions that were on my final exam because I couldn't remember the way that the other professor had taught to do a thing. But I remember the way that Mark had taught me to do uh, calculation. And so I did it that way and it worked out. So, and also like all of our equipment was falling apart at the community college. So like, you know, when wheels needed to get fixed or something like that, we'd take it apart and we'd work on the wheel, you know, instead of doing what we were going to do, or like if the burner kit died on the gas kiln, we'd work on the burner kit to like get it so that it was working properly again. And just practical application stuff like that. You know, we were talking about
1: That's awesome. geometry mm-hmm. early.
0: That's the kind of education that you can't always do in a large group, you know, mm-hmm. and especially like hands on. Like, this is what's going to help you when you're like piecing together all these broken parts or like salvaged bricks and things like that. Like, how do you make a thing that works for you?
4: Um, mm-hmm.
0: So that was like unbelievably helpful in terms of like other pieces because one of the jobs i got when i moved out here to minnesota was i was the studio manager at bloomington art center for a little for a little over a year i think and i ran into problems and i knew how to do them without you know officially having that training because we had done some of the projects so um that was big mark's kind of like my my dad a little bit you know (laughs) <laughs> we, we really bonded. That was a tough one to move off to school. But also, I mean, there are a lot of people that really were very integral to the way that I think and the way that I've been able to continue working. I went to Alfred University in upstate New York, and I got a chance to work with Linda Sikora and Andrea Gill and Ann Currier, and Walter McConnell and Wayne Higby. My goal when I transferred there was to try and work with as many of the faculty and they have a lot of ceramics faculty that was actually the biggest reason that I went there was because I knew that there was going to be a large group of people who all had different skill sets and who were all wonderful and all had different ways of thinking and because of my scatterbrain I was like I think this will work out you know (laughs) like Mm -hmm. I think um I'm going to be able to you know resonate and 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 find um Find some, find the goals, and and absolutely was was uh, probably the best decision I could have made Hmm. to go out there. And you know, all the questions that they were all asking, you know, during critiques and things like that, are pieces that I carry with me. And still, Wayne would always walk into your studio and be like, "What is the question?" And that's a great question to ask yourself anytime you're walking into any studio practice I think. <laughs> what is the question you know what am I doing what what is the goal you know what are all these things and you know just teaching you good ways of finding what your goal is and how to how to think about what you're making and uh, it's funny my uncle he always used to say the answer is to question and I thought about that after... I heard Wayne say, what is the question? And it's kind of the same thing. You know, it's good to ask questions. It's good to like find different answers for the same question. And that keeps all the random stuff happening. That is Mm -hmm. so much fun to mess around with. Right.
1: You can never have too many questions. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like, or if it feels like the question's answered to ask another one, you know, to keep Mm -hmm. all the studio stuff fresh. Mm. I kind of purposefully try to ask more questions probably for that process. That's probably part of the challenge uh, is to answer all the questions that I'm always asking Um, (laughs) because there's, there can always be more questions. Right. Right. But uh, Bob Briscoe, Bob is like kind of one of the big Minnesota potters that really made the reputation for this place and just a, unbelievably generous person with his time and thoughts and just making sure you know people are taken care of you know while we're helping out at the show and like all this stuff he started the sacred pottery tour while i was having a group of potters out here got together but it was always his uh, spring show was mother's day weekend and then friends just kind of started doing that and it ended that you know, 30 years later now being one of the largest uh, pottery events in the nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nine stops up here in Minnesota every mother's day weekend. And there's probably over 5,000 pots at each location. Wow. So it's just like, oh, overwhelming. That's something to put on your calendar next year. Brian should definitely come up to the uh, number of the locations and or all of them. It's just like overwhelming to look at all the beautiful stuff. But anyway,
1: Duly noted. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's a, that's a big one. And, uh, but Matt and I went to Bob's to volunteer there, and um, they kind of the potters welcomed us sort of into their family. Of you know, it's a show, you know, but at the same time, um, the way that Bob set up his stop, it felt like coming home, mm-hmm. um, and just like that welcoming, generous, you know, atmosphere was just a great vibe for the whole weekend you know, it didn't end up feeling like work or like it was a pottery sale. It was more like a party at his house and like everybody's invited and there's good snacks and there's good drinks and there's a fire and good music and like all this stuff. So it's just like that made a big impact on me in terms of like how to, how to run a pottery event, but then also like Matt and I ended up buying both of his studios. So uh, Matt, Bought his studio, Matt Crowsey, when he and his partner re- retired and moved to the city. Uh, they moved downtown to Minneapolis. They wanted to be closer to downtown to do music and have fun, you know, doing music stuff and and uh, food and just all the all the things that weren't always available out in the country. And then he bought a studio up in Clearwater. And then a couple of years later, after he built it up and was working here, decided he was done. So me and my partner were able to buy this place and it was like turnkey ready. And, you know, it has that has been probably the biggest step in the last 10 years or whatever, in terms of like trying to perpetuate all these weird ideas, you know, in the studio is to have a studio, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: (laughs) you know. So uh, to him, I'm also eternally grateful. He and Mary are just
1: champions Well, and speaking of like events kind of like the one you were talking about or your studio and things like that, if somebody wants to see more of your work, where can they find you?
0: Oh, shameless self-promotion, right? Um, (laughs) Where are you? What are you doing? Um, Probably the easiest way to keep up with me is I am trying to get better at social media. My Instagram tag is at Swenwares. S-W-E-N-W-A-R-E-S. And um, I post most of my stuff on there, but I also have a website. Um, I need to do a better one, but right now it's a Wix site. So if you type into Google Wix, W-I-X-S-I-T-E, and then Swenwares, I'll come up on that too. But I'm also at a couple of couple of galleries. I'm at Schaller Gallery in Michigan, Northern Clay Center, and Granhan in Minneapolis and St. Paul. I'm working with Akhar now, Ak- uh, Clay Akhar, A-K-A-R in uh, Iowa. Those are good spots to, to find me at. Oh, uh, Upstate MN too. My buddy Christopher has a wonderful gallery up in uh, hmm. Granbury. Oh, cool. And so he's like, he's way up there. That's an awesome spot up there. Um, mm-hmm. We're hoping to get up there and, and hang out for a weekend and just like, make some good snacks and see Chris. Nice.
2: So,
1: nice. Yeah. Well, and also many of our, um, well, at least we're uh, a lot of times our episodes are sponsored by North house folk school, which is in grammar. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, when you're going up to take a class at North house, go ahead and stop by that gallery there and check out some of Swin's work. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. I've been meaning to, um, I want to take, sometimes they have uh knife making classes up there and I think mm-hmm. it'd be fun to like try and make some, I think they haven't done it in like the last couple of years, but I feel like last time I looked, I was like, oh, I should go do this. Man, I was down at Penland when um, I think Seth Gould was um, mm. teaching a tool making concentration. Mm. Cool. And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I want to hang out in the forge <laughs> like the whole time. Like they're making <laughs> hammers and locks and just like amazing stuff. I want to, yeah. I want to take some classes and and uh, bounce around. I should do that. Yeah, I need to look at their schedule. <laughs> yeah.
1: Do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Swen, um, we won't take up any more of your your morning. Um, but we just, yeah, wanted to say thank you so much for for joining us on the show and for chatting and for waking up early, <laughs> even though you're a night Oh,
0: <laughs> No, this is great. Um, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, and it was great to talk to y'all.
1: Well, thanks so much for joining us for this conversation and also to everyone who supported the show, whether financially or otherwise. An extra special thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon or has made donations to the show through our website. We have lots of fun ideas to participate in and contribute to the craft community, but we need everyone's support in order to be able to do them. So if you're getting anything out of these conversations, please consider donating to the show.
3: Every contribution matters, both for helping us grow the podcast and for raising money for craft scholarships. Also, thank you to our sponsors North House Folk School in Minnesota, the John C. Campbell Folk School in Western North Carolina, Touchstone Center for Craft in Pennsylvania, Miss Caitlin's School of Blacksmithing in Maryland, and the new maker focused social platform We Make. A free way to support the show is to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us, and we also really appreciate the feedback.
1: If you'd like to see more images of guest work or to stay up to date on other happenings like the class giveaways we've done with John C. Campbell or Pocosin Arts, please follow us on Instagram at CutTheCraftPodcast. Also, if you want to see more of our work, both of our accounts are linked in the bio on the podcast page.
3: You can also email us at CutTheCraftPodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, or guest recommendations for the show. Or even if you just want to say hi.
1: And as always, a huge thanks to Brad Vedder for your graphic design, the High Divers slash Luke Mitchell of the High Divers for letting us use your music and for help with production and editing, and to Justin Williams for writing those poetic tidbits introducing our upcoming guests. Coming up, we have an interview with illuminator and paintmaker Dr. Esra Elhamel. So to get a little glimpse into our conversation, here's a clip. Thanks again for joining us.
4: See you next time that creativity is like um it's like a passion that doesn't push you too much and it kind of quietly nudges you that it wants you to do it Mm -hmm. it's like a part of your soul that's like it's kind of worried from overwhelming you so it only slowly nudges you with like slow ideas of like oh what about this flower and stuff and Mm -hmm. it's not it's never pressing but other things are always so pressing that's like oh my god I need to do the laundry today or (laughs) I need to like finish um, like these paints and I need to send them to customers so it's like sometimes I find other tasks really pressing they force me into doing them right then where my paintings are just sitting quietly and just like well we'll wait for you and I know they're so nice (laughs) (laughs)